Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings. This is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Sunday, uh, January the 9th, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again uh, to yet another edition of our program. Later on, uh, we'll be bringing you our regular panel report. We'll have dispatches on the statement by several East African scholars about the position of the Ethiopian government in addressing the attempted destabilization of the government is a lesson in resistance to neocolonialism. Another person had been, has been killed by security forces in the Republic of Sudan as demonstrations continue against the military regime. The African Cup of Nations uh, football is underway, bringing across the continent. And a well-known Egyptian television host has died from complications related to the pandemic. In the second hour, we continue our focus on the 110th anniversary of the founding of the African National Congress of South Africa. We'll have speeches from um, President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, as well as a solidarity address from uh, one of the key tripartite alliance partners, the South African Communist Party. Finally, we examine some of the most pressing and burning issues taking place on the continent and around the globe. Stay tuned. Uh, We'll take a musical interlude, and we'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Tara da madala, esa no mule ni me, me usa. 
If you hear me laughing, yes, I'm laughing just to keep from crying. If a smiling face is what you see, you can't tell what may be worrying me. You don't know. If you hear me laughing, well, I'm laughing just to keep from crying. I was broke, I was hungry when I came to town. You said, keep on walking, but it don't slow down. You don't know, you don't know my mind. And when you hear me laughing, I'm laughing just to keep from crying.
might slip, you might slide, you might stumble and fall by the roadside. But don't you ever let nobody drag your spirit down. Remember you walking up the heaven. Don't let nobody turn you around. Walk with the rich, walk with the poor, learn from everyone, that's what life is for, and don't you let nobody drag your spirit down. Remember you walking up the heaven, don't let nobody turn you around.
the tears won't come down. I feel like crying, but you know the tears won't come down. You know I got a funny feeling I'ma have to leave your town Yeah. 
Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal. This special worldwide uh, radio broadcast for Sunday, January 9, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, and that was the music from uh, the collection entitled From Mali to Memphis, uh, showing the continuity between uh, the music of uh, West Africa and uh, the Southern African experience in the United States, featuring uh, such artists as Taj Mahal, who we just heard, uh, Jesse May Hemphill, uh, John Lee Hooker, Amadou, and Mariam, among others. Right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment, and uh, now uh, we are focusing on our lead story, the situation in East Africa. Scholars from Kenya and Somalia said that Ethiopia has been currently leading the way in freeing the African people from the neocolonial mindset. As the country is fighting a proxy war waged by Western powers, uh, former Deputy Speaker of the Kenyan Parliament and politician Farah Malim and Somalian researcher and political analyst Abdi Wahad Abdi Samad are in Addis Ababa to demonstrate their solidarity with Ethiopia in a struggle against the meddling meddling of foreign powers. Speaking uh, to the Ethiopian news agency, a former deputy speaker of the Kenyan parliament, Farah Malin, said that the Ethiopian government and people have been fighting against proxy wars, which uh, is being intensified by the developed world, uh, saying that it is exemplary to Africans. He also urged Africans from all corners to join Ethiopia's struggle against neocolonialism to say no more. Otherwise, the whole continent would be facing a second wave of colonialism. We don't want African issues to be tackled and to be determined in other capitals like the Western capitals or the American capital. So we are saying no more interference in the internal affairs of the African continent in this regard Ethiopia has led the way in freeing the African people from the colonial mindset of not trusting in their own decision, Amalim noted. The speaker also lauded, lauded uh, the people and government of Ethiopia under the leadership 
of Prime Minister Dr. Abiy Ahmed uh, for being vigilant and rallying together in the toughest ongoing hybrid war launched on Ethiopia by the United States and some of its Western allies. We want to commend your people and your government more specifically, uh, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, who at this time did what is frankly in the eyes of so-called developed world by taking a personal risk. Uh, he has been seen uh, what has done uh, to those people who tried to set the independence of their own countries, communities, and regions, according to him, taking the bull by the horns and decided that we could not listen from outside to determine our own issues as a continent. I think the African continent is going to come in solidarity with Ethiopia, despite the fact that Africa is both sufficient and untapped natural resources. The deputy speaker underscored the continent and still remain under the exploitation for the Western countries and Africa is not in control of its own resources. However, Marlene strongly argues it is time for Africa to take charge of its own affairs. Appreciating Ethiopia's decision, which is working hard to thwart the threat, whatever the risk, the speaker prophesied this struggle is going to be fired at one end uh, to any other end of the African continent. He went on to say that all conflicts are created outside and transported into our continent. So we have come to demonstrate our solidarity with this new light to Africa. Thank God for the people and government of Ethiopia. They have decided uh, they are going to do whatever it takes, and they will take a risk. I am sure the continent is going to come, and the struggle is going to engulf one end of the continent uh, to the other. All of them are going to come out and say no more. He finally hoped that Ethiopia would overcome all the difficulties that come from internal and external forces, as well as the country would integrate not only the people of Ethiopia, but also the people of the Horn of Africa. And uh, you can read that article in its entirety on the Pan-African Newswire website, and we'll give you information uh, at the end of this news segment. In neighboring Sudan, uh, the Sudanese security forces have killed yet another demonstrator. They have wounded dozens uh, earlier today as they violently dispersed uh, thousands of uh, protesters in the capital cities of Khartoum, Khartoum North, and Abdurman. The Central Committee of the Sudanese Doctors said a protester died after being hit by a canister of tear gas in the neck by the security forces. Today's incident brings the death toll of the anti-coup protest to 62. Earlier today, the medical group announced the death of another protester who died of gunshot wounds on January the 6th. The security forces used sound bombs and tear gas to disperse the demonstrators near the presidential palace, the headquarters of the military-controlled Sovereign Council. Also, the joint forces blocked the bridges linking the three cities to prevent Khartoum North and Abdurman demonstrators from joining the one in uh, Khartoum. The authorities uh, used containers to block the bridges. The Sudanese military continued the excessive use of force against the protesters as they now deployed armored vehicles to hunt demonstrators in Khartoum streets. The international community urged Sudan's military rulers to stop the brutal crackdown on protesters. However, this has been in vain. The special representative of the UN Secretary General in Sudan announced yesterday the launch of an inclusive dialogue to reach an agreement on the formation of a transitional cabinet, a roadmap to achieve 
the remaining task of uh, the transition. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. And uh, in regard to sports, the uh, African Cup of Nations is now uh, taking place. Cape Verde's uh, Dylan Tavares uh, uh, celebrated uh, with the captains Dopira uh, during the African Cup of Nations 2022 Group A soccer match between Ethiopia and Cape Verde at the Olembe Stadium in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Uh, this uh, took place earlier today on January the 9th. The Saudi-based striker headed uh, Cape Verde ahead uh, in its first uh, half stoppage time in Yaoundé after Ethiopia had defended uh, Yari Bara set off with just 12 minutes gone. Cape Verde, whose three Cup of Nations appearances at all come since uh, 2013, won for just the second time at the tournament and sit levels on points uh, with host uh, Cameroon at the top of Group A. Ethiopia faced an increasingly uphill challenge after Baye's yellow card was upgraded to red following a VAR review for his tackle on Tavares that the Cape Verde player ran through on goals. Tekli Mariam Shanko uh, produced a brilliant save to claw the ball to safely after Ethiopia defended McNaught Debebe diverted a cross towards his own goal. Cape Verde uh, made their extra man count uh, late in the first half as Gary Rodriguez hooked a cross back towards goal where it was knotted in by Tavares and inspired Shanko kept Ethiopia in the game with a string of stops, but they created little in attack to trouble uh, Cape Verde and already looked look set for an early exit with games to come against Cameroon and Burkina Faso. Finally, uh, El Brasi's funeral prayer will be held tomorrow in El Shabini Mosque in the hometown of Egyptian TV presenter Wahib El Abrashi who passed away earlier today at the age of 58 after suffering months from COVID-19 complications. Uh, the funeral procession will take place after the afternoon prayer, which will be performed after 12 p.m. tomorrow. El Abrashi, uh, presenter of El Tassia, the 9 o'clock program on national television in Egypt, contracted the coronavirus in late and was admitted to the intensive care unit of a quarantine hospital in Gaza. In Giza. However, uh, he left the hospital in March of last year after his health improved, but continued to receive treatment at home after developing pulmonary fibrosis due to the coronavirus. This disease prevented him from returning to TV screens despite frequent reports that he had almost recovered. In November, El Abrashi denied rumors that he had died, saying he was in good condition and was undergoing physiotherapy so that he could return to work. Assam Hosni, the head of the Scientific Committee to Combat the Coronavirus at the Ministry of Health, told the media in September that El Abrashi's health had improved and that he expected him to return to media work soon. Over the course of his career, El Barasi uh, presented several programs on many TV channels in Egypt, including El Ashura Masan, after renowned host uh, Mona El he also presented Koyam uh, on one channel after TV host Amir Adib and Al Hakika 
uh, the truth on Dream TV channel that renowned media tycoon Hala Saran. He started his media career as a journalist in Rosa Youssef Journal and then assumed uh, several media positions, the last of which was El Tassia or National TV Channel One. Renowned TV host Yosef El Husseini has been presenting the daily El Tassia program since El Barashi contracted the coronavirus. El Barashi was born in 1963 in Dakahila, government in northern Egypt. Early on Sunday, Vice President of the Supreme Constitutional Court and the country's first woman judge, Tahani El Gabali, also died in Cairo due to the coronavirus complications. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And in concluding uh, this segment of the program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service that is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in various newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. Uh, if you'd like to log on uh, to uh, the Pan-African Newswire uh, so you can stay abreast of pressing and burning issues of the day, uh, just go to our website at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you would like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, January 9th, uh, 2022, Go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's the Pan-African Radio Network. It can be found at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And uh, if you log on to the Pan-African Radio Network, not only can you have access to today's program, but well over 1,000 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal. The programs can be shared with other potential listeners, via email, uh, blogs and websites, as well as social media networks such as Facebook and Twitter. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week.
Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast, and that was the voice of uh, Brenda Holloway uh, from her smash hit entitled Every Little Bit Hurts. And uh, right now we want to move into our ongoing commemoration of the 110th anniversary of the African National Congress founding in South Africa, and uh, we want to play another address uh, from yesterday's uh, toned-down rally uh, due to the uh, impact of the pandemic uh, in the Republic of South Africa. This is an address by Dr. Bladen Zamandi, who is the Minister of Higher Education in the Republic of South Africa and also Secretary General of the South African Communist Party. Come on, so that the program is uh, We're going to give Ujara Secretary of the Communist Party, Comrade Braden Zimande, we've cut his time. We've given Kosa to 10 minutes, we'll give the party three minutes. Now, uh, that is my discretion, you know. The pattern was played three minutes, eh? Because I put that bread there. Okay, ten minutes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Amanda! Viva the African National Congress! Viva! Viva SACP! Viva! Viva Kosato, Viva Amanda, Corporate President Cyril Matamela Ramaphosa, President of the ANC and the Republic, and members of the National Executive Committee of the ANC, the President of Kosato, Comrade Zinge Swalosi and the leadership of the Alliance present here and those watching us from various places, members of the Diplomatic Corps and the media, comrades all. On behalf of the Central Committee of the SACP and our membership, I want to take this opportunity to congratulate the ANC 
on its milestone of its 110th founding anniversary. The history of our democratic victory against colonial and apartheid oppression and that of the development and revolutionary role of the ANC are inextricably linked. In other words, to understand how the liberation struggle achieved the democratic breakthrough of 1994, one needs to appreciate the outstanding leadership role played by the African National Congress. In the forefront of the South African Liberation Movement was the Tripartite Alliance, supported by formations of the Mass Democratic Movement and the Progressive Trade Union Movement. One of the greatest achievements of the ANC from the onset was its ability to unite the African majority and black people generally against colonial and apartheid oppression. The ANC managed to roll back any regressive tendencies like tribalism, narrow provincialism, and ethnically-based mobilization. As the South African Communist Party, we expect the ANC to continue to play this role of uniting Africans in particular and black people generally as the foundation upon which to build a non-racial society. And it is only the African National Congress which is capable of leading this effort. No other organization will be able to do this. And we dare not forget this task. The main priority facing the ANC and our country at the moment is that of transforming the economy to create jobs and sustainable livelihoods, including supporting small businesses and cooperatives. As part of realizing that powerful slogan of the ANC, a better life for all. The key challenge for our economy is youth unemployment. Let us make 2022 to be the year we begin to see some improvements in our economy and the job situation. The SACP remains firmly of the view that neither state capture nor neoliberalism will address the socio-economic challenges facing our country. This is because state capture enriches those who steal from the state and neoliberalism redistributes wealth away from the workers and the poor to those who are already wealthy. As the first organization to expose and call the phenomenon of state capture what it is, and also called for the establishment of a judicial commission of inquiry to investigate this rot and decay, we welcome the release of the first part of the inquiry into state capture report. Of course, we would have liked the release of the entire report, but we commend our president, Comrade Ramaphosa, for his decision to have the report publicly released after receiving it. So that there is no speculation. Everybody can read the report for himself or herself.
But comrades, we must know that our detractors will seek to use this report to attack the ANC, our alliance and our government. Let us as an alliance and government use this report to deal a decisive blow to state capture and the theft of public resources. We are also saying private corporations that have been part of state capture must just not receive light treatment. They must also be called to account, including being prosecuted. It's of no use to only punish public servants and senior officials of the SOEs and leave the corrupt element in the private sector unattended to. Comrades, however, if we are to effectively tackle state capture, we do need to clean up our state security system, especially those parts of it that have been corrupted together with state capture. But as the ANC and as a movement, we must remember that that is necessary but not enough. We have to ask ourselves the question, what kind of an ANC cater do we need, both in the ANC and in the state, including the ideological and moral outlook of such cadres? Factionalism is another sketch we have to fight and completely root out, out of our movement. This is very important for our renewal. But it is also clear to the SACP that the scourge of factionalism is now mainly based on control over resources. You often have a grouping comes together as a faction controls the structures of the organization, grabs municipal budgets, and distributes patronage through jobs and tenders. And that is corrupt. What is clear to us is that the struggle against factionalism must also be accompanied by the struggle against corruption, both within and outside our own ranks. We also want to say as the SACP, one of the main tasks we have is to defeat counter-revolution comrades. We must know every revolution tends to call upon counter-revolution. The problem with ours now is that part of this counter-revolution is emerging from inside our own ranks. And for instance, we are saying, much as Comrade President, we must give your, your law enforcement agencies the chance to investigate fully the July counter-revolution last year, the torching of our parliament, but as the SACP, we smell a rat. We are very suspicious that there is a connection between the July 21 offensive and the touching of our parliament. But we will give the state-owned agencies to investigate. But we will give the state-owned agencies to investigate. 
That is why when we stand here, we say to our glorious African National Congress, please lead an effort to unite all progressive forces in the country and to unite all Democrats in our country to defend the gains since 1994. We must also, comrades, learn appropriate lessons from our local government elections. Our people love the ANC, but at the same time, as Comrade Zingu was saying, they are angry against corruption. They are angry against our failure to do very basic things, filling up the potholes, cleaning the areas that we are actually staying in, provision of basic services, those things that we can do which we are not doing, our people are angry about that. And we are saying to all the structures, not just of the ANC, but of the alliance, let us unite to listen to the voice of our people. They gave us tough love by not going out to vote for us. As I move towards ending, we must also unite our alliance. And let all those who think the ANC and the Alliance can move forward in different directions to know that this is a dangerous path. Going our separate ways is what our enemies have long wanted to achieve, and let us not give them that, as we will all be defeated. Let us reconfigure and strengthen the Alliance. As I end this year, all our three formations are going to their congresses. The SACP in July, COSATU in September, and the ANC in December. Now, these platforms, we must make sure that we use them to deal with the challenges that face us and come up with concrete suggestions and not allow factionalists to divert us. In all this task, Comrade Chair, the African National Congress will find a dependable ally in the South African Communist Party. Terrible. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the address uh, from the uh, Secretary General of the South African Communist Party at yesterday's uh, 110th uh, anniversary commemoration of the founding of the African National Congress in South Africa, uh, Dr. Bladen Zamande, who is also Minister of Higher Education. And uh, right now we want to listen to the uh, address delivered uh, at this same rally uh, yesterday uh, by South African President and President of the ANC, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. President Cyril Ramaphosa has downplayed talks about him running for a second term, but he admits there are many challenges facing his party. One of those is party structures, which he says are in a dismal state. 
Ramaphosa was speaking to ENCA's host of Power to Truth, JJ Tabane, after the January 8th celebrations. Good afternoon. Amanda. Mata. Mata. Matimba. Matimba. Manda. Manda. Demasiar. In second. Dumelan. Molini. Sanbonan. Lochani. Kuyameda. Comrade National Chairperson. Gwede Samson Mantashe. Comrade Deputy President, Comrade David Tabede Mabuza, National Officials of the African National Congress, and members of the National Executive Committee of the ANC, Comrade Stan Machabata, a chairperson of the Provincial Executive Committee of the African National Congress in Limpopo province where we are, Comrade Blaise Nzimande, the General Secretary of the South African Communist Party, and other leaders of the SACP, Comrade Zingi Swalosi, the President of the Congress of South African Trade Unions, Comrade Vatabile Damini, the President of the ANC Women's League, Comrade Nongneva Mshauli, the convener of the ANC Youth League National Task Team. Comrade Snooki Zigalala, the president of the ANC Veterans League. Veterans and stalwarts of our movement who are here. The dean of the diplomatic corps and representatives of foreign missions, leaders of fraternal parties and organizations, and former liberation organizations or movements, the leaders of the religious sector, especially those who were able to offer prayers, your majesties, the queens and kings and traditional leaders of our people, comrades and friends and the people of South Africa. I'd like to thank the people of Limpopo for opening the gates and the doors of the province 
to enable the ANC to celebrate its 110th year of existence. Rale <laughs> Ah, the moon nakabani lena kingaka kalinyalu, nganaka ubona oruku tu sabia. The leadership of our alliance was able to go to all the regions in our province. All of them we crisscrossed the length and the breadth of the province. And we are grateful that we were able to interact with our people and get to hear their thoughts and their views. We thank the religious leaders, the traditional leaders, as we visited their various palaces, as we visited the various places of worship. We'd like to thank the business leaders and organizations as we also interacted with them and exchanged views and thoughts with them, as well as the professional sector, the sports sector, and many others, and of course, uh, the media as well. We thank you not only for opening the doors, but your thoughts to us, and for forthrightly putting your suggestions and your views forward in the Sikukuni region, I was uh, privileged to hear the thoughts of some young people, some of whom were suggesting to the National Executive Committee what should go into the January 8th statement. And others were a lot more ambitious and forward-looking, as they said, what should go into the State of the Nation address. And others even went further to say what should go into the budget that will be presented by Comrade Godongwa. So it's been a week and a few days of real extensive discussions and consultations. It proves the correctness of the decision that was taken by the National Executive Committee that prior to January 8th, whichever province has been allocated the honor of organizing the best day of our movement, we should spend time engaging with our people. And in many ways, this process that we went through was a continuation of the pilgrimage that we started in 2018, when we went to a number of places, including the graves and the homes of the founding leaders of our movement. It was wonderful to go to various royal houses here in this province, as well as homes of leaders who have departed, like Comrade John Garimeng. And when we were told that right in 1912, a number of our traditional leaders were present in Mangaung when the African National Congress 
was formed. It was truly humbling to continue seeing the continued commitment of families, of regions, to the African National Congress spanning over 110 years. For a family about Babang, didn't they tell anyone I'm a to for more than 100 years. It was very humbling to see that. One of the outstanding events that happened also during this process was the Peter Mugaba Memorial Lecture organized by the ANC Youth League. Yesterday I saw the visions of the re-emergence of the ANC Youth League. There are clear signs that the Youth League is rising. I saw the enthusiasm of young people who had come in their large numbers to a point where we could not accommodate them in the hall that the leadership of the Youth League had organized and it had to be outside and they were there in their large numbers. Another event which became oversubscribed was the Lillian Matabanengoi Memorial Lecture which had to be postponed. The oversubscription of, in terms of attendance of that lecture it's a clear sign itself that the Women's League in this province is definitely alive without any doubt. And we'd like to thank the leadership of the ANC Women's League that once the numbers had overrun the compliance numbers, they were decisive enough to say that the event should be postponed so I will be back to address that memorial lecture because it is important that we should do so. Yes, the, na the national leadership of both the party and COSATU has been on the ground. They've been crisscrossing the length and the breadth of this province, interacting not only with their members, but with members and structures of our movement and would like to thank them for having spent a great deal of time through the various structures of their leadership. So we've had a really excellent build up to this 110th birthday of the African National Congress. A great build up which has culminated in the National Executive Committee spending hours and hours going through many drafts of the statement of the ANC on the birthday of the African National Congress, a place of which I am now going to put forward. The ANC NEC has had to go up to 15 drafts just preparing this statement because in doing so, it has dealt with the current situation. It is exactly 50 years since Isitola Andwe, Siaparangwe, 
President Oliver Reginald Tambo delivered a January NEC statement commemorating 60, the 60th anniversary of the founding of the ANC. This anniversary takes place just a few days after a devastating fire swept through our parliament in Cape Town. The entire country has been shocked, outraged and saddened by the destruction because the institution of parliament is a repository of our democracy and a symbol of democratic stability of our people. For 28 years, our parliament has been a site of transformation. It's also been a site of empowering lawmaking and also a site of redress where we have worked together to overcome the legacy of our apartheid past. Although the buildings of Parliament have been extensively damaged, Parliament as an institution remains intact and will continue to express and give effect to the will of the people of South Africa. On this occasion of the 110th anniversary of the formation of the ANC, we need to engage in a frank assessment of how far we have come during the past year in meeting the core mandate defined by the 54th National Conference. There are many developments that characterize this environment and which inform our program for the year ahead. These include COVID-19 pandemic, which is a global cry health crisis unlike any the world have ever seen in more than a century. In our own country, more than 92,000 lives have been lost to COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic. This has been a profoundly traumatic period in our national life, but not only in our national life, but in the lives of various families in our country, challenging us to give reassurance, to give leadership, inspiration, and to also give hope for the future to our people. Our economy has been severely damaged Millions are without work and today, more than ever before, rely on social support for survival. The rate of economic recovery, while better than anticipated, has not been sufficient and the resources that are needed to address the challenges of poverty, unemployment and inequality have largely been inadequate. At the same time, our experience of the pandemic has highlighted the sense of social solidarity 
more critically the need for all South Africans to join hands in a social compact to revive the economy and improve the quality of life of especially the poor in our country. The pandemic struck as we were launching concerted efforts to reposition our economy and attract much-needed investment as we have been rebuilding the democratic state after years of state capture. Not only was state capture a systematic attempt at siphoning off public resources and funds, it also destroyed the capability of the state and led to the departure of capable people from public institutions as they resisted state capture. Some were fired, some were forced to resign, and some just gave up. Some were suspended for long periods, and they left. And those were the critical skills that our country was robbed of. People who knew the work, who knew the right things to do. But because state capture targeted them, because it, those who were perpetrating it knew that if they remove those people, it will be a lot easier to achieve their own ends. It also undermined our democratic state and threatened our program of social and economic transformation. As expected, the renewal that we have embarked on is being assailed at various levels by acts of institutional and social disruption. Let us, from the outset, make it clear that these desperate efforts that some are making will fail in the face of a united people resolved to protect South Africa's democratic gains. We must be forthright in recognizing and deal decisively with the reality that ANC structures are in a poor state themselves. Many of them are focused on internal organizational conflicts, factionalism and furthering the self-interest of individual leaders, which results in the lack of service delivery to our people and the lack of addressing the aspirations of communities that they are meant to serve. These weaknesses were reflected in the results of the local government elections in November 2021. While the ANC received a clear mandate to govern in the overwhelming majority of municipalities in our country, our overall share of the national vote fell below 50% for the first time since the advent of democracy. Many citizens demonstrated their dissatisfaction with our movement and its performance by staying away from the polls. 
The movement must therefore undergo a fundamental and lasting process of renewal and rebuilding if it is to remain an effective and trusted agent of change. We must intensify our work to restore the relevance, the capability, the credibility of the ANC so that it continues to be a powerful force for transformation, a powerful force that will continue to be trusted by our people. As we do so, comrades, we must be clear that this whole process that the NEC and indeed our conference in Nasrec decided on will be a painful and protracted process. No resistance, even from our ranks, can force us to abandon the cause of truly being the ANC of the people. Barata kapa abarati reton tafa ntafasa ANC riyete ona ANC yela we are on that path, much as in some quarters it will meet resistance, but it is a path and a journey that we've got to embark upon without any fail, without any retreat. In furtherance of our fundamental objective to create a better life for all, this January 8th statement sets out priorities for all ANC members and cadres that must underpin our work during 2022. Firstly, we must build a social compact to decisively address the big challenge of unemployment and poverty in our country. Working with all social partners we must accelerate economic recovery and reconstruction and ensure that social services are provided to all citizens. Secondly, we must defend our democratic gains against attempts to undermine our constitutional order and destabilize our democracy. Thirdly, we must accelerate the fundamental renewal and rebuilding of the African National Congress so that it is more effective and trusted as an agent of change. Fourthly, we must build a capable developmental state with an effective ethical public service that drives the implementation of our country's transformative agenda. And fifthly, we must continue to work for a better Africa and a better world. On the first priority, comrades, the ANC urges government to conclude a social compact with all social partners on the measures to place our nation on a higher and a more inclusive growth path. The ANC takes this view 
that in the end, the economic recovery process has to be embarked upon by all social partners. It is not only the task of the ANC, nor the task of labor, or the task of government. It is the task of all of us to build the social compact. Such a social compact must set out the obligations and commitments of all social partners, government, business, labor, and community, to decisively address our common national challenges of poverty and unemployment. The COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated our already precarious economic situation. In a short space of time, around 1.5 million people lost their jobs since the start of the pandemic, and the unemployment rate we now have is at its highest ever. Government invested heavily in providing additional and much-needed social and economic relief measures in the face of this unprecedented public health crisis. Government poured billions into addressing the challenges that our country and our people were facing. The Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan which was launched in October 2020, draws extensively from the movement's position as discussed and as engaged on as the Alliance and a number of other formations, and finally developed with our social partners at the NEDLEC level. Recognizing that it will take time for businesses to recover from the pandemic and begin the, to create jobs again, government implemented an employment stimulus program. In its first phase, this employment stimulus created more than 550,000 employment and livelihood support opportunities for many of our people. We will continue to implement public employment programs to support unemployed working age adults and will work in consultation with organized labor and other social partners to develop these programs. The Social Relief of Distress Grant, Eba to Baringhabambona by the President 350 Randa, has provided vital support for the unemployed during the pandemic, reaching more than 10 million people and lifting 5 million of our people above the food poverty line. This has been a great initiative by government which has given a lot of support to our people. Many of us would have thought, Hori, Fela Kobea 350, Randa Mota Fuleng, Yale Lapa Lele Lapa, Kinto Enyan, Ikumeku Ribanu Botala, Bai Amukela Yomalile.
Nahambi, he bona irinzongo, but it has assisted a lot of our people. There is therefore a clear need for some form of income support for unemployed in our country and poor South Africans based on clear principles of affordability and sustainability. This, in many ways, is what is causing Comrade Ino Godongwane to lose more and more of his hair on his head because as he thinks about the many challenges that face him as our Minister of Finance, including this very issue that is standing as a huge challenge which we have to find some resources for. Central to the formation of the ANC 110 years ago was the need, comrades, to respond in a united manner to widespread colonial land dispossession. Redressing this historical injustice and returning land to the people is a critical component of the ANC's fight for social justice and the elimination of the vast inequalities created by apartheid. Such land, the land reform process that we need to embark upon will promote economic development for the benefit of all. The ANC will implement its resolution on the expropriation of land without compensation despite the refusal of other parties in Parliament to support the proposed enactment of Section 25 of the Constitution as proposed. We will continue to implement a variety of programs and initiatives that will give effect to our land reform objective. So our work and our intentions in this regard have not stalled we are going to continue with a variety of programs and initiatives to return land to our people. Climate change, comrades, presents a range of geopolitical, security and economic and social risks for our country and to the world. At the same time, a just transition to a low-carbon ecologically friendly and socially sustainable economy presents opportunities to create jobs, inclusion and growth in sectors as renewable energy, grid construction, manufacturing of renewable components, battery storage, green vehicles and the hydrogen economy as well. The success of our economic recovery depends to a large measure on our ability to effectively manage COVID-19 as this virus is likely to remain part of our lives for the foreseeable future. To enable our economy to return to full operation, we must urge everyone in our country 
who is not yet vaccinated to ensure that they are vaccinated as soon as possible. The ANC urges government to finalize a policy on the introduction of vaccine mandates for particular settings and activities as well. I would like to say, comrades, we have contracted COVID, and we have found for those who were vaccinated were able to navigate their way around COVID and to even survive COVID-19 because they were vaccinated. I am a witness to that because when I contracted COVID, I went through quite a lot of health difficulties together with my wife who also had tested positive. But because we were vaccinated, we were not hospitalized. We were able to recover. And medical people have told us that we were able to survive as they listened to our account of the symptoms. They said we were able to survive largely because we were vaccinated. Comrade Paul Piramatuba, the MEC of Health here in our province, was telling me exactly that yesterday. And she said, President, the fact that you were vaccinated was a great, great advantage for us because from what you are telling me, if you had not been vaccinated, we could have lost you. So I urge all South Africans who have not yet been vaccinated from experience, so let us take up the call to be vaccinated. Yesterday I addressed the young people here in Pulukwa. I asked a number of them. Some of them were not even wearing masks in a public event. Only about 50% were wearing masks, which I thanked them for but others were not. But when I asked how many of them had been vaccinated, I found that only 40% or so had been vaccinated. So I continue to make the call that it is important for all of us to be vaccinated. Right now, some 40% of our people have been vaccinated. We had obviously hoped that many more would have been vaccinated and I know that many other countries are struggling with vaccination hesitancy. But we can do better as South Africans. So I therefore urge that all of us who have not yet been vaccinated, let us go out in our great numbers. Because the recovery of our economy is very much dependent on many of us being vaccinated. So the ANC also urges government to finalize the policy on the introduction of vaccine mandates 
A number of other countries are moving in this direction. And we now need to give our people an incentive to go and be vaccinated. Because that is the only defense and shield that we have for people not to be hospitalized and also not to die. The ANC supports the call made at the World Trade Organization to temporarily waive intellectual property rights on COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. We believe that such a waiver will allow the developing economy countries to develop their own vaccines and will lead to more equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines. Once this is granted, here on the African continent, countries such as Senegal, countries such as Egypt, Rwanda, Kenya, including Morocco, and our own country, Nigeria as well, and Ghana, will be able to manufacture vaccines for the 1.3 billion people who live on our continent. At the same time, we must, comrades, say that all of us must continue adhering to the protocols that we have put in place to manage COVID-19. The ANC must take this time, and it does, salute all frontline workers for their commitment and their sacrifice in the fight against COVID-19. For those who have made sacrifices, we remember all South Africans too who have succumbed to COVID-19 as we redouble our efforts to contain this terrible pandemic. Our second priority, comrades, is to defend our democratic gains. The advent of democracy in 1994 and the progress that has been made thus far to build a united and inclusive nation over the last 28 years stand as the greatest achievement of the people of South Africa. South Africa has, over the course of several years, experienced various actions that have the effect of subverting our constitutional democracy, its institutions, and the socio-economic advances that we have made. These actions include blatant acts of state capture and criminality described in the report of the Commission on Inquiry into State Capture, the Zondo Report, the concerted campaign of public violence and destruction that took place in July last year, as well as ongoing acts of theft, destruction and obstruction of infrastructure, including communication and logistical networks. One of the resolutions of our 54th conference was to establish a judicial commission of inquiry into allegations of state capture. We welcome the submission and release of the first part of the Commission's report and look forward to the completion of the Commission's work by the end of February 2022. 
the ANC will support government in effecting the measures, measures that are required to eliminate conditions and conduct and conduct rather that enable state capture and systemic corruption. We will put in place mechanisms to process any part of the Commission's report that pertain to the organization, its employees or members. We will also look at how the Commission's recommendations can help to enhance the fundamental renewal and the rebuilding of our movement. We call on all South Africans to engage with the Commission's report and to be part of the national effort to put state capture behind us. We want this to be a national effort so that all of us are collectively involved in putting state capture behind us. We call on, therefore, on all of us to be part of the effort to build an ethical, capable developmental state and a society governed by the values of our democratic constitution and the rule of law. The security and stability of our country was directly challenged by the deliberate, coordinated and well-planned incidents of violence and destruction that took place in parts of KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng in July last year. It is important once again to express our deepest condolences to the over 300 families who lost loved ones in the course of these tragic events. The ANC applauds the actions of ANC structures and ordinary South Africans who worked together through peaceful means to prevent the spread of violence and looting to many other parts that were targeted. We commend the members of the South African Police Service, the SANDF and other state agencies who under difficult conditions worked to restore order and prevent further loss of life. These events underline the need to continuously guard against counter-revolution and work to ensure that counter-revolution cannot and must never find fertile ground here in South Africa. We call on government to strengthen the ability of the state to prevent and respond effectively to such developments. Non-racialism is a fundamental principle of the ANC and lies at the heart of our objective to build a South African nation with a common patriotism and loyalty in which the cultural, linguistic and religious diversity of the people is recognized. And as Comrade Blayton Zimande, the General Secretary of the SACP said, it is only the African National Congress that can ensure that this objective is achieved. No other organization in our country can do so. This is an ideal that many people have struggled for and died for.
Sadly, this principle is being eroded both in our organization and in broader society. A painful example of this retrogressive tendency was the racism and prejudice manifest in the tragic events that occurred in Etewini during the outbreak of the violence in July. We pass our condolences to those of our compatriots who lost their lives needlessly during those events in Phoenix which had racial undertones. We must unite the broadest cross-section of our people, of people in opposition to social ills and opposition rather, to social ills such as racism and other forms of prejudice. The ANC must do significantly more to ensure that non-sexism becomes a lived reality in our country. All manifestations and consequences of patriarchy, of toxic masculinity, from the feminization of poverty, physical and psychological abuse, and undermining of self-confidence to the exclusion of women from positions of authority, leadership, and power must be eliminated. Women and children in South Africa continue to be among the worst affected by fear, intimidation, and violence. Our efforts to, regard, to eradicate gender-based violence are not sufficient to deal with the extent of this scourge. We must move with greater agency to close gaps in the criminal justice system. We must strengthen support to survivors and effectively implement prevention efforts. We urge members of society, especially men and boys, to become better allies in the fight against gender-based violence and femicide. Our third priority is to accelerate the fundamental renewal and the rebuilding of the African National Congress. A strong, effective, and united ANC it's crucial to the efforts to build a united, non-sexist, non-racial, democratic, and prosperous South Africa. When the Liberation Movement, the governing party, and one of the strongest forces for social and economic transformation is divided and ineffective, the whole country suffers. All genuine leaders and members of the ANC are agreed on the need for thoroughgoing renewal and rebuilding of the African National Congress. The task of fundamental renewal is made more urgent by the loss of popular standing support and trust that our movement has experienced over several years. The 54th Conference asserted that Renewal is about building the ANC's resilience, enhancing its transformative and governance capacity and its ability to adapt to changing situations so that 
it can continue to organize and to lead our people. Renewal and rebuilding will take time and it will also take a lot of diligent work. There will be successes, but there will also be setbacks. And we should expect and confront resistance from those who may well be uh, opposed to renewal. We should endure the pain that this entails and ultimately we will emerge as an organization better placed to serve the people of South Africa. This calls comrades for a return to revolutionary discipline. It also calls for strict adherence to the culture of democratic centralism. And this means that once the organization has made a decision, members must abide by that decision. Once upper structure Discipline once upper structures have pronounced and decided on matters, whether they are right or wrong, lower structures are bound to act in accordance with such decisions and pronouncements. That is how the African National Congress has always worked. Departure from this practice constitutes ill-discipline, and this is what we need to root out. Let there be no misunderstanding, comrades. We must also build unity within our movement, but we should not misunderstand that building unity is building unity at all costs to the detriment and to the disregard of the fundamental principles of the African National Congress. Nor does it mean unity in defense of wrong or corrupt practices. Unity unity that is based on principle is unity just for the sake the act of corruption. While the ANC has begun to give effect to these resolutions aimed at restoring the standing and integrity of our organization, we must all agree that we need to do much more. One of the areas in which the ANC has taken clear action is to require that members who are formally charged with acts of corruption and other serious charges must immediately step aside from all leadership positions in the ANC, in our legislatures or other government structures, pending the finalization of their matters. To provide sharper focus to renewal and rebuilding of the movement, the National Executive Committee has decided to set up a commission to develop a clear roadmap for the movement towards the 120th anniversary of the African National Congress in 2032. This ANC Renewal Commission 
will be tasked to develop a clear vision of 2032, which describes the desired state of the country and the ANC in 10 years' time. It will develop a roadmap towards Vision 2032 for adoption at the 55th National Conference in December 2022. Comrades, our fourth priority is to build a capable developmental state for effective service delivery. The developmental state should guide economic development and effectively use state resources to meet the needs of our people. Our developmental state must be capable of leading, guiding, and mobilizing all social partners towards achieving national objectives and goals. There must be sufficient capacity in the public service to deliver all the basic needs that our people require, such as health, housing, education, and other government services. We will continue to implement a range of measures to strengthen local government. And this time round, the focus on local government is going to be greater and is going to be much more focused, and we will utilize our various structures for continued evaluation as well as assessment of the work that we do in our local government. And this includes the mechanisms we have put in place to choose capable comrades as councillors, as mayors, and senior office bearers with the requisite knowledge, with the requisite skills and experience to serve our communities. In addressing people's most pressing concerns, the ANC will work to ensure that all residents in municipalities where we govern have reliable and affordable electricity, water, and sanitation. We will serve as an effective opposition in municipalities where we do not govern and ensure that the council gives attention to the concerns of the residents. As a governing party at national level, we will work with provinces and municipalities on a massive campaign to ensure construction and maintenance of water and sanitation infrastructure. Wherever I went in the province in the past few days, the issue of roads, infrastructure, and water was raised continuously. And this is what we are going to be giving attention to, from national to provincial and local government level. Is it possible to be done? The answer is yes. We need to be more focused, conserve our resources, ensure that acts of corruption are eliminated and that whenever we pay for any form of infrastructure, we don't overpay, we are not overcharged, and there are no people who are going to siphon the public resources that should go to those infrastructure programs. That is what we are going to be focusing on. 
we are also going to eliminate unspeakable indignity that, and failure that continues to dog communities where our people live, with a, where there is shortage of, in, of, of sanitation and water. Through the district development model, we are aligning the work of national, provincial and local government to ensure that planning and budgeting is properly coordinated and service is properly improved. The ANC supports the establishment of the Border Management Authority, which has now been established, which we believe will contribute significantly to improving security on our borders and the management of immigration in our country. We urge government to publish the final critical list, skills list, and to finalize legislation providing certain occupations and businesses that must be set aside for South Africans. Our fifth priority is to continue to work for a better Africa and a better world. The ANC is committed to advance the cause of national liberation, development, world peace, disarmament, environmentally sustainable development, and accordingly the ANC will continue to play an active role in mobilizing progressive forces globally, strengthening our relations with progressive organizations, including former liberation movements, and engaging in campaigns of solidarity and the attainment of better and more just world. The ANC will focus international work on peace, development and reconstruction on the continent. We will play a stronger role in establishing and sustaining party-to-party -party links in countries that are striving to entrench democracy. We support ongoing efforts to find African solutions to African problems in resolving the conflicts in Mozambique, in the Cabo Delgado area, in Lesotho, in the Kingdom of Eswatini, in the Sudan, and in Ethiopia. We must continue to pursue the reform of the United Nations and Security Council. The ANC repeats its condemnation of ongoing illegal settlements and state-sponsored settler violence against Palestinians and threats of illegally annexing more Palestinian land, including on the Golan Heights. Our support for the people of Cuba remains unwent while wavering, and we urge the United States to lift all remaining restrictions and re-engage with the Cuban government to normalize relations between the two nations. We reiterate our long-standing solidarity with the Sahrawi Republic and the Polisario Front. The ANC notes with concern the recent developments that have necessitated the people of the Sahrawi Republic resuming their armed struggle 
in response to renewed incursions and, attack, and attacks by Morocco. In line with our priorities for the year, all ANC structures have a number of priorities to undertake for 2022. Our first task, comrades, is to work for the fundamental renewal and rebuilding of the movement. That is a task that all of us, through our various structures, must embrace and take up. We must continue to work for the restoration of the integrity of the ANC so that we earn the confidence and the respect of South Africans. The ANC will continue to strengthen organizational discipline and address misbehavior and corruption within our ranks. Our principal program to implement the step-aside rule will continue. We must build and strengthen ANC branches through clear programs of action, which should include, for instance, political education of branch members on the aims and objectives of the ANC, the duties of ANC members, the role of ANC branches, and key policy positions of the African National Congress. Welcome back. And that was a speech from President Cyril Ramaphosa of the Republic of South Africa, speaking also in his capacity as the president of the African National Council. And, of course, yesterday was the 110th anniversary of the African National Council. We want to thank you for tuning in here to the Pan-African Worldwide Radio Broadcast. And today is the early morning hour of January 10th, Monday, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal. This program can be be accessed by merely going to the Pan-African Radio Network website. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And you can also read the Pan-African News where by logging on to Pan-African News. This is Abayomi Azika. I'm your host every week here for the Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with more of our program for this week. And we'll be coming up in just a minute with a song from none other than Blanche Calloway from uh, the 1930s. 
Welcome back. And that was the big band leader and vocalist, Blanche Calloway. This is our final segment in Journal Special Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Let's listen in to CGTN, Africa Live. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Africa Cup of Nations tournament kicks off with hosts Cameroon taking on Burkina Faso. It is my expectation that we will take the appropriate decision that will advance the future of Mali and our community. West African Regional Bloc currently meeting to discuss the direction of Mali's transition after request to delay elections. And security forces face off with protesters in Khartoum ahead of expected signing of political charter. Hello and thank you for joining us on Africa Live. I am Penina Karibe. The long-awaited 33rd edition of the Africa Cup of Nations has kicked off today in Cameroon as 24 teams battle it out to be crowned Africa's best in football. Currently, the game between Burkina Faso and Cameroon is on halftime, Cameroon leading Burkina Faso by two goals to one. The opening ceremony held in the capital Yaounde was well attended with the president of Cameroon alongside his wife. CAF president Dr. Patrice Motsepe was also present at the Sardomnis Paul Paul Beer. After the opening ceremony, the first game kicked off at the same venue. The Burkina Faso goal came in the 24th minute when a Bertrand Traore cross was met by Gustavo Sangare. But the indomitable Lions equalized from the penalty spot after Traore brought down Zambo Anguissa in the penalty box in the 40th minute. The spot kick was awarded after a VAR check. The second Cameroon goal also came through an Abubakar penalty at the stroke of halftime. And from Cameroon, let's bring in Gieno, the head of sports Cameroon Radio. He joins us live via Zoom from Yaounde. Gio, what's the latest on the Cameroon Burkina Faso match? Well, I mean, the latest is the second half will be kicking off in the minutes ahead. But the host, fortunately, uh, had two goals to one. Such a two goals, two penalties, spot by uh, Captain Bentabu Baka, who in the process becomes Cameroon's third all-time leading scorer in the history of the team. The fans, I can tell you, are in a delirium of joy at the moment, especially after the goal by Gustavo Sangare at the 24th minute. Thanks to the 60,000 sitter Olembe Stadium into graveyard silence, the only people we could hear in this facility were the stallion star hearts who were jubilant, who were screaming, and who were exhilarating. But after the equalizer, and the second goal from Bentabu uh, Bakar, the Cameroonian fans seemingly have come to life, but it looks to me that Cameroon's coach Antonio Pocatel, judging by his reaction at the at half time, uh, will be making a few changes, and I expect to see two attackers coming, especially Bayern Munich forward Eric Maxim Chikomoti and Dinamo uh, Moscow winger Clinton Jeff. There were doubts earlier after some Burkina Faso players tested positive for COVID-19. Are there any such concerns about other teams in the matches coming up tonight and tomorrow? 
Well, I, I am not quite certain. I think they have five players who tested positive from COVID. But when you look at the quality of this uh, stallion side, they do not look like a side that affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. They're playing with fluency. They're very talented. They're stretched. They're stretched on high often football this far. And they've really been good going up. I mean, they've defended pretty well. Apart from the two reckless mistakes that were made that makes the penalties, they've really been different. The goalkeeper hasn't really been tested. The two known attempts from targets for family have been those penalties that they look like a very set style. And just imagine if they had all the players playing in here. Some of the players who set the positive are very deep. The players playing the trip for important clubs and were an integral part of the science that the money will be interesting to see as the competition of the court what they can do when this players returns to action. All right, and Eno, thank you very much for joining us and all the best to your team. Now, West African leaders are meeting in Ghana's capital, Accra, to discuss the political crisis in Mali. This comes after the regional bloc ECOWAS rejected Mali's transitional leader's proposal of a five-year transition to constitutional rule. ECOWAS has been urging Mali's military government to hold elections in February to return the country to civilian rule. The regional bloc has imposed financial and travel sanctions on members of Mali's transitional government and their relatives. The economic community of West West African states has also threatened further sanctions if Mali fails to hold elections next month. Sunday's meeting in Accra is to look at Mali's timetable for elections and the transition to civilian rule. The meeting is also likely to discuss sanctions to be imposed on Mali should the country not agree to the regional bloc's plan for a return to civilian rule. The official proposal submitted to me by the transition authorities under the hand of its head indicated that the transition period should run for five years. Subsequently, by a letter to me dated 7th January 2022, two days ago, the head of the Malian transition stated that the period had now been modified to four years. As long as it is this decision that we are meeting to review, to determine whether it complies with the agreement reached on 15 September 2020 and embodied in the transition charter, and more fundamentally, whether it conforms to the community principles as enshrined in the ECOWAS Supplementary Protocol on Democracy and Good Governance. It is my expectation that we will take the appropriate decisions that will advance the future of Mali and our community. Asajitian's Nabil Ahmed is following the developments in Ghana. He joins us live from Accra. Nabil, what do we know so far from the ECOWAS meeting? Well, Penina, the meeting has been ongoing for over three hours uh, since the chef uh, man, that's Ghana's president, Anay Pufadu, gave the uh, opening speech, as you rightly played a while ago and we're expecting the chairman to address the media on the outcome of the meeting with the West African leaders for over an hour. It's still not been held, but then uh, the media is in there and some of the leaders are also in the conference room waiting for the chairman of ECOWAS, President Anekou Fadu, to actually address um, us on what the outcome of the meeting has been. But then um, the signals we are picking on the ground 
um, is that um, the leaders have said the uh, plan or the proposal that the um, transition government in Mali has given to ECOWAS to hold elections in the next five years is unacceptable and um, they would want the uh, um, leaders to consider holding the elections as planned earlier uh, uh, next month, uh, that's February. Um, we also are picking signals that um, the regional bloc is likely to impose safer sanctions on Mali for failing to go ahead with the original plan to hold elections in February uh, because they said um, from the last uh, ECOWAS summit that we had, there was a laid out plan as to how they should be able to conduct the elections. And uh, now going back on their word is really a slap in the face. So um, the ECOWAS regional bloc is looking at imposing sanctions which include the I mean, maintaining the already existing uh, sanctions, which has to do with the imposition of financial um, uh, restrictions and also travel ban on the leaders of the Mali transition and their families. And now, um, going forward, you are looking at stiffening these sanctions um, further on this uh, West African um, uh, region, uh, country, that's Mali, and that would include shutting uh, the borders of the other West African countries to uh, uh, Mali and that's going to really affect the economy of uh, Mali. So this is what we are picking so far while we await uh, the president uh, of Ghana, that's the chairman of ECOWAS, to really tell us what they arrived at at the community of this after finishing this particular meeting, Penina. All right, Nabil, thank you for that update. Nabil Ahmed, live for us in Accra. Security forces on Sunday fired tear gas as thousands rallied in Sudan's capital Khartoum and a neighboring city. The rallies, according to witnesses, are meant to keep up pressure on the military following a takeover 11 weeks ago. The October 25th coup, led by Army Chief General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, disrupted a power-sharing transition between the military and civilians. According to witnesses, security forces fired tear gas as protesters headed towards the presidential palace. Police erected roadblocks to prevent people converging at the palace and at army headquarters. The resumption of protests since the coup has been met with a crackdown that has killed at least 60 people, according to medics. The United Nations on Saturday said it would facilitate talks between key Sudanese stakeholders in a bid to resolve the political crisis. When all Sudanese doctors also rallied around several hospitals in Khartoum in what they called the White Procession. The doctors say they did this to commemorate the storming of a hospital in the capital three years ago by the regular forces. They were also protesting attacks on medical staff and hospitals as they attended to those injured in demonstrations across the country. A day before the demonstrations, the Khartoum State Security Committee issued a statement expressing regret over the violation of the sanctity of health institutions in Sudan. Aid agencies in Somalia are overwhelmed by the impact of the ongoing drought situation in the country as more people, mainly pastoralists, who lost their livelihoods are displaced to big cities. Meanwhile, government is making concerted efforts to help affected communities as Mohamed Kahir reports from the capital Mogadishu. The impact of drought in Somalia has significantly increased across the country following three consecutive below average rainy seasons. Humanitarian agencies are warning of dire consequences facing the affected people, mainly pastoralists. According to the latest data, close to 3 million people are affected by the ongoing famine, 
with more than 300,000 displaced, mainly farmers and livestock keepers. The drought has been particularly very harsh in the regions like Jubaland, Southwest and Galimuduk states, where most pastoralists live. More than 3 million livestock, mostly camels, are facing shortage of pasture and water due to delayed rainy seasons. Concerted efforts led by the federal government to help people affected are underway since an emergency meeting by the cabinet in November last year. This past week, the federal government delivered financial aid to respective states in order for them to help deal with the humanitarian situation. Also, the members of the international community were not left behind by responding to the calls made by the Somali government. A humanitarian consignment by the United Arab Emirates was also delivered to Somali government for distribution. Likewise, Turkish aid agencies are providing the much needed help, especially in the most affected areas. Hamid Kahiye, CGTN, Mogadishu, Somalia. You're watching Africa Live. Let's take a short break. Straight ahead. 5,800 people detained amid riots in Kazakhstan and rest with 164 people dead so far. Welcome back, and that will conclude our program for today, Sunday, January 9th, and the early morning hour of Monday, January 10th, 2022. We've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to this program, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at Blog Talk Radio dot com forward slash Pan African Journal. That's blogtalkradio dot com forward slash Pan African Journal. You can read the Pan African Newswire at panafricannews.blogspot.com. And we're going to be closing out with the joy song Kenny Burrell along with Ray Bryant from the album entitled No Problem. This is Abayomi Azigawe signing off. And have a beautiful week.
Thank you.